What is humanism? What are humanist values? What is unique about living as a humanist in Northwest Ohio? This is the place to find out. My name is Douglas Berger, and this is Glass City Humanist. In this episode, I talk about the passage of House Resolution 512 that calls for the global repeal of blasphemy, heresy, and apostasy laws. Next, I talk about two cases of schools trying to use religion to circumvent public health orders. And finally, in a new segment I call Humanism 101, I take a look at global awareness. In a victory for real religious freedom, the U.S. House of Representatives passed House Resolution 512, calling for the global repeal of blasphemy, heresy, and apostasy laws. The bill was introduced back in July 2019 by Representatives Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland, who happens to be a member of the Free Thought Caucus, and then-Representative Mark Meadows, Republican from North Carolina. Mr. Speaker, in this age of partisan division, one of the foundational American values still has the power to bring us together across the aisle. The defense of every human being's freedom of religious conscience and freedom of thought against government persecution. With House Resolution 512, we act today to stand up for religious and intellectual freedom in a world gone mad with religious discrimination, religious oppression, and religious violence. H.R. 512 calls for global repeal of laws punishing blasphemy, heresy, and apostasy, three religiously defined thought crimes that have no actual victims and thus no place in the criminal law of free nations. And yet governments in 84 countries, from Saudi Arabia and Iran and Somalia to China and Russia and Bangladesh, still use laws like these to intimidate, arrest, prosecute, and incarcerate members of minority religions, disfavored faiths, and free thinkers, putting people in jail or even condemning them to death for religiously subversive speech was not unknown in the American colonies. In Massachusetts, Puritan governors hanged Quakers for their heretical lectures in town squares. But our Enlightenment Constitution, especially our First Amendment free exercise and anti-religious establishment clauses, put us squarely on the path of rejecting blasphemy laws and these other relics of Inquisition, Holy Crusades, and New England witchcraft trials. Our law has gotten rid of obsolete offenses like blasphemy and apostasy because they have a purely religious character and do not refer to empirical social harms. Blasphemy is making impious or sacrilegious statements about established churches or doctrines. Heresy is taking religious or intellectual positions at odds with an established religious orthodoxy. Apostasy is breaking away from a religious orthodoxy or church. As offensive as we might consider other people's religious views and utterances, in America today, people's thoughts and words about religion are absolutely protected by the First Amendment. But in many parts of the world where religion is still actively weaponized by theocratic and authoritarian governments, these imaginary offenses can still get you thrown into jail, harassed and executed, or simply stopped and torn from limb to limb by state-sanctioned lynch mobs. Religious people of the wrong faith are the most common victims of blasphemy and heresy laws. You might be a practicing Christian or Hindu in an officially Muslim state, like Libya or Afghanistan, or 
a devout Muslim in a Hindu society like India. You might be a non-religious person targeted by your enemies or state authorities. With this resolution, Mr. Speaker, against the new wave of global religious oppression and persecution, America can once again take the lead in defending the basic human rights of religious and intellectual freedom all over the world. James Madison, the author of our First Amendment, denounced that, quote, diabolical, hell-conceived principle of persecution. And he stated in his remonstrance against religious assessments that the religion of every man must be left to the conviction and conscience of every man. Let us share this principle with the nations of the world with this resolution. With that, I reserve the balance of my time. Sometimes we take for granted the freedom we have here in the U.S. to question and criticize religion and religious belief, especially if that belief could harm other people. Sometimes you might get death threats if your complaint about religion gets aired in public, but rarely do we think those threats will be carried out. In some countries, that is not the case. You can be jailed or even put to death for complaining about the majority religion. Here's a report from October of 2019. Two Italian soccer players have been given one-match bans for blasphemy after being filmed taking God's name in vain while out on the field of play. Sassoluso's Francisco Maginelli and Parma's Mantino Scazzarella were handed their punishment Tuesday after league officials examined television pictures of the incidents that took place last weekend. And this is a news report from September. A Pakistani court in Lahore convicted a Christian man to death under the controversial blasphemy law. According to the reports, the Lahore Session Court sentenced 37-year-old Asif Perzev Massive for insulting Islam and sending blasphemous texts to a former supervisor at work. Massive was arrested in 2013 for alleged blasphemy. His lawyer, Shaif El Maluk, said that the complainant in the case filed against Asif was working as a supervisor in a hosiery factory and Asif was working under him. Denying the allegations against Massive, Maluk said the supervisor was trying to get Asif to convert to Islam. According to thehumanist.com, as of 2018, at least 70 nations around the world still have blasphemy laws that endanger the lives of those who don't conform to the state's official religion or worldview. Blasphemy laws are often used to target secular and religious minorities of many faith backgrounds, including Christians, Hindus, atheists, and Muslims, among others, and conviction under these laws can mean life in prison or a death sentence. The type of legislation H.R. 512 opposes was used in Russia to ban Jehovah Witnesses as an extremist organization, and in China to arbitrarily detain an estimated 800,000 to 2 million Uthgar Muslims in internment camps because they followed Islamic rituals and practices. House Resolution 512 calls on the President and the Department of State to make the repeal of blasphemy, heresy, and apostasy laws a priority in bilateral relationships between the United States and countries that have such laws. Two, designate countries that enforce such laws as countries of particular concern for religious freedom. And three, oppose efforts by the United Nations to implement an international anti-blasphemy norm. 
The resolution also calls on the governments of countries that enforce such laws to amend or repeal them and to release anyone in prison pursuant to them. The resolution passed 386 to 3, and the entire Ohio delegation who voted, voted yes. For further information on the topics mentioned in this episode, check out our show notes on the website at glasscityhumanist.show. Three religious schools filed a federal lawsuit against the Lucas County Board of Health over its order to close all school buildings from December the 4th to January 11th due to a surge in COVID-19 cases in the county. The fight to allow Lucas County private schools to keep their doors open in the midst of this coronavirus surge is now in federal court. Three schools are challenging the health department's order to suspend in-person learning and sports. I-Team reporter Sean Haggerty tells us where the case goes now. Sean. And Diane, it's Emmanuel Christian, Monclova Christian here at St. John's Jesuit. They are the schools involved in the lawsuit. Now they're asking for a temporary restraining order against the health department's order, saying that order violates their protection of religious freedom. Clover Christian Academy knows all too well that COVID-19 is serious. The head pastor tells 13 ABC the school is closed for two weeks as it dealt with a COVID spread. For them, the legal issue is not the virus. Pastor Jeremy Rand saying this is about unnecessary government overreach. The pastor made this recorded message earlier this week. We don't need unelected boards dictating and placing orders upon us. And as an American, we need to realize that is dangerous. It's not that Lucas County Board of Health can't ever shut them down in response to COVID. It's that if Lucas County Board of Health is closing those religious schools, they need to do so in a way that's fair to them as compared to other non-religious activities. And they need to have some strong reasons. Dr. Lee Strang, a university's Toledo constitutional law professor, expects the arguments in part to be, why can religious schools not open and allow kids to practice their faith if the health department isn't shutting down all public places? The school says in the lawsuit, the act of worship or engaging in physical or mental acts to honor God takes many forms beyond singing songs in the assembled company of other believers. For many, religious education and religious worship go hand in glove. On the one hand, the Board of Health is saying, hey, you religious schools, you guys can't uh, fulfill your religious mission. But at the same time, if you want to go to the casino, go ahead. If you want to go to a rock concert, go ahead and do that. If you want to exercise, go ahead and do that. Health department lawyers in a filing Tuesday countered the suit, saying they do have the lawful ability to close schools in a pandemic and that it's being done across the board to all 7th through 12th grade schools in Lucas County, not just religious schools. One of the things that the plaintiffs have to show in order for their claim to be powerful under current Supreme Court jurisprudence is that their religious activities are being treated less well than secular activities. Court has asked for a response from the schools by Thursday to the health department's latest filing. That's when we may learn if a hearing will be held to discuss that temporary restraining order. Diane. And that was a report by WTVG in Toledo. While there has been spikes in positive cases in the schools before the order was made, the reason for the order was that there was worry that children wouldn't necessarily get sick but could spread the virus they picked up at school to their home and potentially harm others. 
Usually a student is inside a school building for several hours a day, so the chance of picking up the virus is greater than if one visits a grocery store for less than 30 minutes. And there is less of an opportunity for social distancing in schools than, say, at a casino that has the room to spread people out. The schools that are part of the lawsuit say they should be treated like a casino, gyms, restaurants, and tanning parlors, which remain open. Yes, some religious schools want to be treated like a business that one doesn't frequent five days a week for multiple hours, like being in school. The plaintiffs also claim that the order interferes with their ability to provide daily in-person mentorship, religious training, counseling, and prayer to 7-12 to 12 students. The order doesn't prevent any religious activity in the schools. It should, but government agencies are shy about touching anything that is part of a religious service. A recent U.S. Supreme Court case had a New York Catholic diocese and Jewish synagogue getting a favorable ruling over a health order temporarily not allowing in-person church services. The Lucas County Health Order doesn't single out religious schools or infringe in their religious ceremonies. The order is also temporary. What this lawsuit is really about is sports. Two of the schools in question play high school sports, and that is the one thing the health order shut down. In fact, one of the schools, St. John's, sent around a letter to parents last week saying it would be looking at how to circumvent the health order so their basketball team could practice and play. This federal lawsuit seems like another way to get around the order. Religious schools are a fact of life in the U.S., and I agree that they shouldn't be singled out by the government. But any comparison should be apples to apples, not apples to casinos. The Lucas County Public Health Order is temporary and applies to all schools, public and private. And it doesn't infringe on the religious school's religious activities, even if I think it should. Temporarily preventing in-person church services just isn't an undue burden on one's religious beliefs. If we believe what we are told by the religious, that God is everywhere, I'm sure he can see them pray over a Zoom call. The reason a church is complaining about church services is because it's harder to pass a collection plate online. Treating religious schools like public schools for a public health order also isn't a violation of rights. You know what a violation of rights is. It would be the government shutting down Catholic schools because they are a bad idea. Or that some non-mainstream religion is just too weird, so they try and tax it or arrest the leaders for trying to promote it. A real violation of rights would be a nationally chartered children's social club denying membership to an atheist child because it claims to be a Christian organization. A violation of rights would be supporting the passage of laws that take the rights away from someone to make their own medical decisions, just because you claim your deity is against it. A temporary health order meant to protect the health of all of us is not an undue burden on the rights of the religious, because it only applies to school and not the students' religious activities. A similar attempt to use religion to circumvent public health orders happened recently in West Virginia. A public school teacher in Bridgeport, West Virginia, tried to rent a space in the next county to hold an unofficial homecoming dance for students at the high school where she works. 
after being told multiple times they couldn't rent the space due to COVID regulations, the teacher called back one last time and said she needed it for a vow renewal, which was allowed under the health order religious ceremony exemption. According to the local news, they reported, so was it a vow renewal, a homecoming dance, or both? 12 News reached out to 4T Arena officials who said they do not discuss their clients' information. 12 News has obtained social media posts tagged at the 4T Arena with pictures of teenagers in traditional dance attire, some using the term FOCO, which is internet shorthand for fake homecoming. 12 News also came across a Facebook comment left by an adult on a post about the event, which encourages people who attended the event to take down pictures. Of course, the adult was more concerned about people who shame minors and not the fact that the kids were flaunting a public health order and needed to be called out. Because the event was in another county and not sponsored by the school, there isn't much the teacher school board could do. I think she should have been charged with child endangerment, but because it was religious, she will get away with it and the only consequence will be someone getting COVID or dying from COVID just so some kids could have a homecoming dance. How selfish can one be, really? This is Doug Berger for the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie. We provide a supportive, diverse, local community for humanists and other non-theists while promoting ethical and reasonable secular worldviews through education, community service, outreach, activism, and social events. If you live in the greater Toledo area or Northwest Ohio in general, check out our website at humanistwle.org. In this edition of Humanism 101, we will be starting to take a look at the American Humanist Association's 10 Commitments. Today, we will look at global awareness. Humanists need to take stock in how our principles shape who we are and most likely how we will take action if needed. We also need to be aware how our actions will affect our neighbors and how they might affect those outside our national borders. Global awareness is an increasing important part of living in the world and is one of the American Humanist Association's 10 commitments. We live in a world that is rich in cultural, social, and individual diversity, a world with rapidly increasing interdependence. As a result, events anywhere are more likely to have consequences everywhere. Global awareness broadens our knowledge of cultures and perspectives that are outside of our own experience. A true global awareness includes attention to both current and historical events and acknowledges how we affect and how we are affected by the interconnected social, political, and economic systems in which we reside. The end goal of global awareness is global citizenship which recognizes our personal responsibility to foster a healthy and dignified life for everyone in our global community. To get a better idea of what we're talking about, here is audio from a video put out by the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, also known as UNESCO. We live in a globalized world. People places and economies are increasingly interdependent and interconnected. Ongoing global challenges are impacting all. Solutions require thinking and acting beyond national borders. 
Young people want an education that is relevant to their worlds and aspirations. Global citizenship education can help us learn to live together in peace. It nurtures respect for all, a sense of belonging to common humanity based on human rights. It helps learners think critically, understand the interconnections between the local and the global. It builds motivation to engage and assume active roles to resolve global challenges and contributes to a more just, peaceful, tolerant and sustainable world. Global citizenship education can be delivered in schools in a variety of subjects, but also outside of school. Community associations, authorities, the media, family. It concerns everybody. Education fosters global citizenship. When students learn about global issues and how these impact on their communities, when young people are given the opportunity to learn from each other, and when they're taught to respect each other's differences and opinion. One recent example of global awareness was when President Trump decided to take action against the Chinese government for what was said to be anti-competition actions. The U.S. government levied taxes on imported Chinese goods. In return, the Chinese canceled orders of U.S. agricultural goods, which directly hurt U.S. farmers and depressed prices. There also might be differences in issues such as climate change, religious intolerance, racism, income inequality, drug policy, immigration, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, and gun rights, for example. It might help to highlight how another country handles an issue when trying to persuade people in the U.S. to take a particular action. Religious intolerance is a much more serious issue in other countries than, than it is in the United States. In some cases, you can be jailed or killed for religious dissent. That is less likely to happen here. So we should promote an end to laws on blasphemy, for example. We can also increase our global awareness by learning another language. When we do that, we are immersed in another culture, and it can help us learn about the people there. With technology today, it's a lot easier to see and read news and information about other countries, and it would be a lot better if you could speak and read the language. Thank you for listening to this episode of Glass City Humanist. For further information, notes, and links used in the show, check out the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show. The show is written and produced by Douglas Berger, and he is entirely responsible for the content. Comments and complaints can be left on the website or sent by email to listenercomments at glasscityhumanist.show. We are sponsored in part by the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, and they can be reached at humanistwle.org. The theme music used on Glass City Humanist is Your Call by Kevin McLeod from filmmusic.io and is licensed through creativecommons.org as Attribution 4.0 International. See you next time.